back and better than ever. Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests like Charles Barkley in a second on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Having a very good time today. Second hour of this morning show. Delighted that you're here. I have to get out of the habit of saying morning. I know it's morning in L.A. It's been morning for me on the air for 21 years. I'm working on that part of it. Um, But we've had a lot to get to this morning. And as we continue in this hour, a baseball manager did something I simply cannot believe. We will talk about it. I will explain why I had it all wrong on college football this entire time. And I will tell you why my name has a fascinating story behind it. All that and a lot more on Twitter at ESPN Greeny for all your reaction. We're getting to that. But really, there is only one place to begin. Double technical fouls. Porzingis and Morris. That's Porzingis second. He's been ejected. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. I saw him getting into Lucas' face. That's why I reacted. I just got to be smarter and control my emotions. Smarter and control my emotions. If I pulled out the Dallas Mavs roster and I started to name 10 through 15 guys that wear uniforms or sit behind the bench, nobody wouldn't know who they are. You know why? Because that's their role. Let them worry about that. When you already have a tech, you just can't do it. That's like fake tough guy stuff. Just walk away from it. Let other people handle that situation, knowing how important you are to your team. And when we designed this radio show, one of the things that we tried to do was create a space where we would have a lot of room when we have very special guests on, people that I would like to talk to for more than just a few minutes. And uh, this is the first of those, something we plan to do as regularly as we can, and there's no one better I can think of to do it. Uh, His is probably the most compelling voice in sports today in the midst of the NBA playoffs, jam-packed, busy Managed to find a few minutes for us here. I really appreciate the Hall of Famer Charles Barkley joining me here on ESPN Radio. Thank you very much, Charles. Oh, hey, Greeny, thank you for having me because my head is going to explode watching Get Up this morning. (laughs) Okay. I cannot, listen, I cannot believe Tim Legler and Jalen Rose talking about guys got to keep their composure. Listen, those two technical fouls on Przingas last night were bogus. They were 100% bogus. And let me explain why. As a good official, you have to have several things. Number one, you have to realize this is not a regular season game. I've got to give these guys a little more leeway. I don't get a star player or technical in the first quarter on a bad call that y'all blew so he get his first technical. Secondly, I have been a star in this league. I have filed, I have come close to filing out. Instead of getting a foul, they'll call a guy a foul on a guy sitting on the bench instead of <laughs> foul a star out. They're not, they, there's guys who are not even in the game. Instead of giving a star his sixth foul, they'll say it was the guy sitting on the bench. That's the way it is. But secondly, I've had great officials say to me, Charles, you already have one technical Calm down. I don't want to have to throw you out the game. Good officials know that. I was very disappointed. Now, the Clippers are going to beat the Mavs, but let them beat them fairly and squarely, and they did not do that last night. I'm completely with you. I'm so delighted to hear you say all of that, and no one would know better than you would. And, Charles, I brought up a ridiculous idea earlier this morning, but I actually think it might make sense, and that is this. If a player gets a technical foul for arguing a call like Porzingis did in the first quarter that you're describing, 
and they can look at the tape and show that it was genuinely a bad call, that he was right in his argument that they should actually rescind the technical. I, I think they should actually be able to do that. What do you think? Well, they're only going to do that after. They always do that after the game or mm-hmm. the next day, which is uh, it's like when they send out those bogus, uh, when they rate the officials and talk about all the bad calls they made down the stretch. I'm like, <laughs> that don't help us that game. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's a good idea. But, you know, just like most people, Greeny, we're not going to appreciate your brilliance until you're gone. Oh, it's Charles, I mean, you are singing my song. Thank you very much. You are the best. Um, yeah. With that thought in mind, you just said you believe the Clippers are going to beat them. So so let me turn to something that, that was said on my show yesterday by Vince Carter, actually. He said if Kawhi Leonard wins a championship this year with the Clippers – and becomes the finals MVP for his third different team, which, by the way, no one has ever done before. LeBron could do it, too, if, if, if he should win it and be the finals MVP. But Vince brought up, we need to start thinking about Kawhi's place historically. We all know LeBron is in there. You know, we sit and argue about him with, LeBron, with, with Michael Jordan and Kobe and all the greats. We don't generally do that with Kawhi. If he wins the championship, should we? Well, I think you have to put him probably behind LeBron, you know, uh, during my era, no disrespect to Kareem, Bill Russell, uh, Bill Russell, Kareem, and Wilt, and Oscar Robinson, Michael, Kobe, LeBron are my three greatest players after those guys. I think if, if Kawhi is able to win his third MVP in the finals, he might be right behind LeBron. Uh, I agree with Vince Carter on, on that. We might have to put him behind LeBron. It's an interesting thought because he's not usually one – he doesn't do it all year long. Where does – I'm trying to figure out for my own self, like, how to factor in the load management. I, I get that it all was created by an injury, but, I mean, I was there when Michael Jordan played 82 games in the 1998 regular season before he won his sixth championship at the age of 35. That has to mean something, right? Well, I think the Clippers, if they're able to win this thing, I think they got away with it. Because you have to understand something. If it wasn't for this coronavirus, they were gonna, they would have to go on the road technically and win that game. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get a break because there's no home court. Listen, as great as Kawhi is, listen, going to play against uh, maybe LeBron in the uh, game seven, uh, I thought that would have been a huge advantage for the Lakers. But now because of the bubble, there's no home court. So we'll see if they're able to do that. I know that at one point this year you were riding Portland. The Lakers do wind up getting them in the first round. Do you think the Lakers will have a lot of trouble with Dame Lillard and his team? Oh, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble, not a little trouble. Hey, I saw you praising Jeff Van Gundy this <laughs> morning. Who him, hey, him and Mike Breen and Mark Jackson are fantastic. I never knew Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy have a sense of humor. I'm totally shocked on those two. <laughs> Well, but you know, yeah, Jeff got Jeff got a great point uh, about Trevor Ariza. He's got a great point about Trevor Ariza. That being said, I'm still going with the Portland Trailblazers to uh, win I the series. To win the series, uh, I, I really now LeBron. He's gonna have to dominate the series because he's the only advantage they got. You know, I've been talking about Anthony Davis all year. He was gonna be the key. But that's only if they play the Clippers. 
because they can match up with LeBron on the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. They cannot match up with AD. So if they play the Clippers, AD is going to be the most important person. But with this Portland, the only way they, the, the Lakers are going to beat Portland if it's LeBron goes crazy because they're going to really miss Trevor Ariza. But that being said, I'm still going with the Portland Trailblazers. Wow, what an upset that would be. We'll see if it winds up happening. And one more on the NBA for you. As I sit and watch what, what they've done in this bubble, which when you take into account the totality of the circumstances that we're all living in, I, I think is one of the great achievements in the history of, of sports um, that they have managed to put this thing together and for it to have run as well as it has. I wonder what you think it says about the NBA players, th- th- their willingness to go down there. These are most, many of them anyway, are multimillionaires who have all the money they could ever possibly want for generations and generations. They're doing this out of out of a sense of something bigger than that. What do you think it says about the NBA and in particular the players that they are making the sacrifices that are involved in putting this thing together in this bubble? Well, Greedy, I'm so glad you asked me that question. I want to give a shout-out, number one, not just the NBA players, the National Hockey League with the bubble they got in Edmonton and Toronto. Uh, man, they make me so proud in the NBA because I'm not going to lie. I thought this thing had no chance of working. Uh, we still got a long way to go. We can't get overconfident. But I got to give a shout-out to my NBA, NBA brethren, man. I'm so proud of these young men. Uh, they've done a fantastic job. They proved, again, that also we got the best commissioner in sports. But, man, these players have been amazing. We've had a couple little hiccups. We've had some deaths, and guys come back, and they did the quarantine. But I cannot believe, I'm not going to lie, I cannot believe we've been almost a month with zero positive tests. And that's all contingent on the NBA players, man. I'm so proud of those young men. The great Charles Barkley with us on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. On a slightly more humorous note, I'm trying to imagine a young Charles Barkley in the bubble. How do you think that would have gone? Well, it well. Listen, they got golfing and fishing, my two favorite things to do. Oh, I forgot about gambling. Uh, but go, hey, listen, golfing and golfing and fishing are my two favorite things in the world. The only thing I'd worry about, Greeny, how good my team was. Now, if you on a, if I'm playing for the Phoenix Suns uh, or my early days in Philly, we had legit championship contenders. The bubble would be fun. But if I'm on a team that sucks, it would not be a lot of fun. Hey, they'd have to come and get me off the pond from fishing if we had a bad team. I would show up like 10 minutes before game time. (laughs) Charles Barkley with us. One more thing before I let you go. I so appreciate this. You know, there have just been so many things. I don't even want to ask you about one particular part of it that have gone on with college sports, in particular college football, over the last few weeks from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling their fall seasons to the other conferences, including the one in which you play, the SEC, deciding at least for the time being they're going to go forward, to North Carolina deciding after a week of having their students back on campus that they can't have them in class anymore, but they're still planning to play football. There's just so much here. Uh, the petition that Justin Fields put together, he, th- those kids so badly want to play. It's such an enormous story, I, and, and I, there's no one whose opinion on it and who's just general thoughts on it I'm more interested in than yours? Well, you know, I watch Get Up every morning. You guys have been doing a fantastic job. And I think the consensus is 
I don't know anybody know the right answer. <laughs> you know, your, your, your panel every day has been pretty much mixed. You know, Green, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I feel bad on two fronts. I feel bad for the kids who are not going to play. But I really feel bad about all the people who are in these college small towns who are, who are going to lose their job. You know, at Auburn, the greatest place in the world, we have 100,000 fans there a game. We probably have another ten to 20,000 who come in just to party for the weekend. I saw a stat that those eight weekends that Auburn plays at home, the business in town make up about 75% of their money for the year. Mm. And being closed for four or five months already, if we don't have football, and listen, I don't even think we can come close to having fans in the stands, my heart really goes out to regular, everyday people who are going to lose their job. Listen, I, and like I say, I don't know if it's safe or not. I would hate to see one of these players get sick and die, God forbid, or get their mother or dad or grandparents sick. Uh, I just don't know the right answer. Um, uh, I just like I just don't know. But it's fascinating to watch. You know what? Sometimes I don't know is the best answer in a pandemic. Yeah. If there's one thing we've learned, there are always more questions than there are answers. Charles Barkley, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this. You were the perfect person to be my first guest in this spot. I, I really appreciate it. Enjoy the playoffs, and we'll see you soon. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, good luck with the radio show, brother. That's Charles Barkley here on ESPN Radio. It really is. When we first devised what we call the clock here of how we were going to set up the the time on the radio show, I wanted to have one segment where I could do longer interviews like that, and Charles Barkley is the perfect person to do them with. And I do want to just add a quick thought on the tail end of that, because I've been saying that on Get Up Now for months. In a pandemic, there are just more questions than there are answers. That's just the reality of it. And sometimes I don't know is the right answer. You know, if there was a manual on hosting talk shows, it would say, never say I don't know. Always have an answer. Give an opinion and defend it to the death no matter what. Even in the face of evidence to the contrary. I'm not going to do that. I don't have any evidence of anything. So what I've decided, for those of you who don't watch my show in the morning, what I've decided through this is that I'm going to be optimistic because it costs the same as being pessimistic and it's a lot more fun. It isn't my natural disposition to be optimistic, by the way. But as far as the return of sports, I think that there, there's been some evidence that optimism was warranted. Like baseball's back. They've had problems, but they're playing. They're pushing through. And it went from a place where you would have bet they would never get there to a place where if I had to bet on it now, I think they will get to a postseason. I think they will crown a champion at the end. And the NFL is going to do it, too. I saw a story yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs, who opened the NFL season in defense of their Super Bowl championship on Thursday, September 10th against Houston, are planning to play that game with 16,000 people on the stands. Now, as Charles Barkley just said, is that the right thing to, to do? I don't know. You shouldn't be getting your information about this stuff from someone like me. I just know what I hear and read like you do. But if they think they can do it, I'm going to be optimistic and hope that it's the right thing to do. I'm going to hope that that doesn't create more problems and that it actually does provide what we're hoping for. Charles just said it. Thousands of people whose jobs depend on this in Auburn and everywhere else. So I'm going to be optimistic. But what I will not be, you have my word on this, and I've said this from the beginning of the middle of March, is I will not be unrealistic. I will not lie to you. I will not tell you I think things are going to happen that cannot. 
And I've said all along, I think collegiate sports are going to have the hardest time. Because at the end of the day, you cannot put the college football players or the college basketball players into a bubble. And I think the bubble is the reason that the NBA and the NHL are working as they are. And I think that's going to be an impossibility when it comes to the collegiate sports. So that one I think that there is cause to be very concerned about. I will continue to root for it like crazy because there's a lot at stake for a lot of people. First and foremost, the players who want to play and their families, for whom many of them will will have a chance at a life that they otherwise will not have. They will not have an opportunity. There are people who, if they do not play any college football this year, there are people who would otherwise have had will have had careers as professional football players who will not. And that's a terrible thing to have happen. And then there were all the other economic ramifications of this. So we'll see where it all nets out. But that's my promise to you. For those of you who don't watch my show in the morning, I'm going to be optimistic because it seems like more fun than being pessimistic, but I will not be realistic. And we'll see what winds up happening. I need you to listen carefully. I just want you to know. All right, so there's something I just want you to know here because it occurs to me that there are many of you who probably, you know, maybe your schedule is such that you don't listen to the radio in the morning, so you never heard Mike and Mike, and you don't watch TV in the morning, so you've never seen Get Up. So you may have no idea who this guy is who just showed up on your radio at this time. So I'd like to tell you a little something that I think you'll find interesting, and I'll tell you why it became very relevant to me recently. So briefly, my father had an uncle who he was very close to, whose name was Benjamin Jordan. And my uncle, Ben, who was my father's uncle, my great uncle, who lived well into my lifetime, he and my dad were incredibly close, so close that my father, as a young man, actually considered changing his last name to honor him, his last name. He didn't wind up doing it, of course. And as a consequence, my name is Michael or Mike Greenberg. My great-uncle was named Benjamin Jordan. If my father had changed his name, my name would be Michael Jordan. And I've thought about that a lot lately. I was born way before Michael Jordan became a name that stands out to every human being walking the face of planet Earth. But I think it's a very good thing that my name is not Michael Jordan because I think it would be, I know they've done commercials about this and things like that. I wonder a lot what, what it must be like to have the name of an extremely famous person like Michael Jordan. And this came up recently because in preparation to do this show, I've had a lot of meetings, mostly on Zoom and things like that, with different advertisers, other partners, incredibly important stuff to bring a radio show back. And one of the primary executives from ESPN involved in all these meetings is named Tom Brady. And what happens is the meeting starts and I can see everyone trying not to react to the fact that this guy's name is Tom Brady because it really has nothing to do with the actual Tom Brady. He is an actual Tom Brady. But when you see Tom Brady, and it's worse on a Zoom because his name is just there. The In fact, every time he talks, he becomes the only person on your screen and it just says under him, Tom Brady. And he's obviously not the Tom Brady you're thinking of. And I just think that it is it is... I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. He seems like a very nice man, and I enjoy working with him. But I think it would be very tough to be named Tom Brady. Do you guys agree? I, I, I think that would be a difficult way to go around in your life, like to walk up to people, hi, how are you? I mean, I'm a sportscaster, so many people know my name, and Greeny has wound up being a very nice thing. 
uh, as, as, as a shortening of my last name. So I'm very happy that my name is what it is. But at the end of the day, if I walked in and I was meeting Cliff for the first time, who is, is one of the producers on the show who I never met in my life until three weeks ago, and he said, hi, my name is Cliff. And I said, hi, I'm Michael Jordan. It'd be an awkward moment, yes? It'd be an extremely awkward moment. But, yeah. Greeny, you're forgetting about Michael B. Jordan, the famous actor. Yes. Well, the B is not an accident, <laughs> right? He didn't put the B in there. I have a story about him, too. What, the NBA All-Star game? Yes, he game? humiliated me. He, Michael B. Jordan humiliated me in a celebrity game. But that's not the purpose of this story. He's not. Notice they put the B in there. Not because Michael, the other Michael Jordan, you know, is a member of, of SAG and AFTRA, but because no one wants to be named Michael Jordan because it's an impossible name to live up to. I think Michael C. Jordan would have humiliated you, too. <laughs> there, are no, there are no shortage of letters in the alphabet that you could stick between the Michael and the Jordan and not come up with someone who would humiliate me on a basketball court. But once again, that isn't the point of the story. All I'm saying is to Tom Brady of ESPN, I love you. And I sympathize because I was almost in your shoes. I will continue in a moment with a baseball manager who did something I absolutely cannot believe. Hi, Greeny with you. Presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. That's terrible news. I just heard that from Christine Lisi in Center for the first time that Gordon Hayward is out four weeks with a bad sprain of the ankle. The Celtics are my pick to win the East. Uh, this hurts that terribly. Everyone who comes on my show in the morning has been picking Toronto. I mean, everyone is riding Toronto, and that's who the Celtics would get if they get through the Sixers, which I still believe they will do. Cliff, who is from Philly and is a Sixer fan, is shaking his head at me. We'll see. This certainly casts that into some question. I still think they'll beat the Sixers, but I don't know that they'll beat. I don't know they would have beaten the Raptors anyway, but this definitely hurts. And in case you're wondering, it's the other leg. So we all saw the catastrophic injury that he had several years ago. This is not the same leg. Not that it's, it probably wouldn't have made any difference, but I know that was the first thought I had last night. It is the other leg, but that's a terrible injury one way or the other. Okay. Let me get to this thing that happened in baseball yesterday that that for the life of me, I just can't believe it all has to do with this home run. Runners lead at all three bases and the pitch to Tatis is swung on and hit out to deep right field. It is up and out a grand slam for Fernando Tatis Jr. He leaves Mike Trout behind with his 11th home run of this season, his second of the night. And in the last 40 minutes or so, he has hit two home runs and driven in seven. The Padres have made it a blowout, 14-3 in Arlington. So for the record, there's the call on 97.3 The Fan, and at no point during that call... Is there any suggestion that Fernando Tatis Jr., who is about the most electrifying young player in baseball, a sport that needs electrifying young players about as desperately as could be imagined, that he had done anything wrong by hitting a grand slam? But it turns out his own manager thinks he did. In a story that for the life of me I cannot believe, Jace Tingler, who was the manager of Fernando Tatis Jr. and the Padres, was upset with him because... He hit the home run. He hit a home run on a 3-0 pitch with the bases loaded and a seven-run lead. So there are a lot, a lot of unwritten rules in baseball. But I didn't know this one was a rule. And so obviously didn't a lot of other people. And I'll tell you who they are in a minute. But is this not actually a sport? Is it not actually a competition? 
The manager said, a lot of our guys have a green light 3-0, and but in this game in particular, we had a little bit of a comfortable lead. We're not trying to run up the score or anything like that. It's a seven-run game. Seven-run leads have been lost in the past. What do you want him to do? He's, they want him to take a pitch. Now, I won't even say I won't tell you what I think, because I'll tell you what some of the greatest players in the history of the sport think. You'd much rather hear their opinion than mine. So would I. Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench. Greatest catcher that ever lived, said, and I quote on Twitter, so you take a pitch, now you're 3-1. Then the pitcher comes back with a great setup pitch, now it's 3-2. and two. Now you're ready to ground out into a double play. Everyone should hit 3-0. and oh. Grand slams are a huge stat. He's supporting the kid. So is Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, whose candy bar I loved as a child. Fernando Tatis, keep playing hard, he tweeted, and playing great. It's a pleasure to watch you play. Love your success and the Padres rise to be a winner. Keep leading the way. It ain't easy to hit home runs. Keep bringing energy you have to the game. We need players like you. An all-star. That's Reggie Jackson. Johnny Bench. These are the deans of the old school. These are the first guys who'd be upset if there was something to be upset about. Trevor Bauer, who I know is known to say sometimes some things on social media that people think are a little crazy, I think he's a million percent right on this. He tweeted at Fernando Tatis Jr. One, keep swinging 3-0 if you want to, no matter what the game situation is. Two, keep hitting homers no matter what the situation is. Three, keep bringing energy and flash to baseball and making it fun. Four, the only thing you did wrong was apologize. Stop that. For the record, I read the story. I didn't see the apology. He seemed to think his manager congratulated him. It It was his manager who actually browbeat him afterwards. Oh, by the way, the opposing team, the Rangers, threw at the next guy. <laughs> they changed pitchers and then threw behind Manny Machado. But that I've come to expect. That I live with. You're cranky. You're getting whitewashed. You're going to throw behind somebody. You didn't throw at his head. I don't even care about that. What I care about is that this kid, you're trying to, you're trying to take the fun out of him. You're trying to take the fun out of a fun 21-year-old kid in a sport that desperately needs fun. Grand Slam home runs are fun. I understand we've devalued home runs to the point that they've become less exciting than they should be and that they historically have been. But let a 21-year-old kid swing the bat for the love of Christmas. And I cannot believe that his own dugout gave him a hard time about it. That drives me nuts. All right, Greeny with you on uh, ESPN Radio. We're live on TV on on ESPN News. Uh, We are presented by Progressive Insurance. And I want to bring you again today's fascinating stat, if you didn't hear it, because it's about Luka Doncic. And Luka Doncic is so good, it's ridiculous. He turned 21 in February. He scored 42 points last night in a playoff game. There's only one player who was 21 or younger who ever scored more points than that in an NBA playoff game ever. And that was LeBron James in 2006. That's my fascinating stat, which is brought to you by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. I'll tell you something else about Luka Doncic. He is the right answer to this question. If you were able to start an NBA team with any human being walking the face of planet Earth, who would it be? If this was Jeopardy, I would I would I would I would sign in and I would say, who is Luka Doncic ahead of Giannis? Ahead of anybody. He's the best. And it's a sport that has a ton of great players. Obviously, Giannis, who is is 25, he's not even 26, so he's ridiculously young also. And NBA conventional wisdom historically tells you take the big. But I'm not taking the big. I'm taking the slightly littler, although Doncic is anything but little. Doncic is exactly what the NBA has become and is becoming. So I take Doncic one. 
Giannis, phenomenal. I just started jotting down names of other young players. Jason Tatum, awesome. John Morant, awesome. Trey Young, terrific. There's a lot of great young players in this sport. But Luka Doncic is the right answer. The only one who I would put ahead of him, but it comes with the biggest caveat in the entire sport, is Zion. If you told me with certainty Zion is going to be healthy and he's going to play over 70 games a season and be able to contribute at essentially full strength in the playoffs for 10 years, I would take Zion. I would take Zion 1 ahead of Luka. I would go Zion 1, Luka 2. But that's too big an if. Much too big an if. I want to be wrong about Zion because I was telling you on Get Up two years ago, or a year ago, I guess, whenever it was that he was getting drafted, that the concern with him that I would take John Morant 1. I would take John Morant number 1 because he's going to be healthy. And I think there's every reason to be concerned that Zion isn't. I want to be wrong about that as badly as I've ever wanted to be wrong about anything. Because Zion is magic, and he's awesome, and he seems like a terrific young man. But there's everything in the world to be worried about with him as far as long-term health. So the right answer to that question is Luka. If you're starting an NBA team right now and you could have any person in the world, he's the guy you take. Coming up next, I'll tell you the one thing everyone talking about the NBA today has wrong. That's next. I'm Greeny, CSPN Radio. I opened the show this morning by saying that the NBA should make a rule and they should have it in place in time for tonight's games. Wherein, if a player gets a technical like Kristaps Porzingis did in the first quarter last night, for an instantaneous reaction to a terrible call, they should rescind the technical. And it doesn't have to slow anything up. You just go back and look at it in a break like they do if a shot was a three or a two. And when they realize that that was a perfectly clean block on Paul George, you take back the tech because he was 100% right to react the way he did. Actually, that shouldn't have been a technical even if it was a good call. And the second one shouldn't have been a technical either. In the playoffs, they should never have taken him out of that game. But one way or another, there's a way to solve that problem. And that, that way is to use instant replay. That way is to use that mechanism you have at your disposal. And that's what everybody has wrong. And I've been saying this for years. I've been saying this on this radio network for almost 20 years. Instant replay is good, and the answer is more of it, not less. And the reason you don't like it is because they're doing it wrong. There should never have been challenges. No coaches should be deciding whether a play should be replayed or not. They use that strategically. They use that in the NFL sometimes if they want to use a timeout in a certain spot. There's any number of ways that can be sort of gerrymandered. That's not what challenges should be or what replay should be. Instant replay should be used for one reason and one reason only. That is to correct egregious errors. I've attached the one-look rule. There's an eye in the sky that needs one look at a play. And if that person says, I need to look at it again, the call stands. Done. We move on with our lives. And most calls don't have to be corrected immediately. Like that one, that decision on Porzingis, whether it be a technical or not. You can do that later. So people get frustrated because replay holds up games. In baseball, that's ridiculous. The manager's standing on the dugout steps waiting to, to, to hear in his ear whether he should challenge a call or not. What the heck has he got to do with it? Someone else should be looking at that and saying, yep, egregiously blown call, correct it right now, and get on with the game. One second, we're done here. One look, and we're done. The answer is more of that, not less. 
Coaches, managers, they don't get to decide this stuff. There's no reason they should. Once you get them involved, first of all, that's not within their their list of things they're trained to do. They're finding ways to win games. That's what they know how to do. That's what they're trying to do. So they're going to use that system to their advantage, which is not what it's meant to be. It is meant to make sure all the calls are right, or as many of them as we can. So correct the egregious ones. Get on with your day. That should be easier, not harder. It should move faster, not slower. And it should be done, not ignored. So they should rescind that technical on Porzingis. And they should have been able to do it during the game last night so we didn't foul out. Again, the breaking news this afternoon, Gordon Hayward going to be out four weeks for the Celtics. I think that changes my pick. I had them winning the East. I think they don't get past Toronto now. And none of my analysts on Get Up think they were going to anyway. I've been riding Boston for months. But that gives me a lot of pause. He's got a grade three sprain in the ankle. It's a bad injury. So we'll see where that goes. One more thing I want for you today. My buddy Jay Williams doing a terrific job on the new morning show. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. I've been talking about Luka today. Luka Doncic, in my view, is the best young player in the NBA. He's the answer to the question, who do you build a team around if you're starting with anyone you want? But I guess I didn't hear it, obviously, because I was working. But they asked Jay today, is Luka a top five player in the NBA yet? Here's what Jay Will said. Luka's not there yet. He's six right now on my list. Mm-hmm. But he's on the verge of cracking top five in the NBA. Wow. Within a year, he'll be there, right? I mean, he's on his way. If he keeps playing at this high of a level, he's on the verge of cracking the top five in the NBA. He's playing at one of the best levels we've ever seen. So I think Luca is that good. So it just got me to thinking. I saw that soundbite up on my screen, so I was listening to it. And I started thinking, well, who does he mean are the top five? So I just started writing names down. LeBron. Giannis, that's two. Kawhi, that's three. Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, James Harden. So Cliff is vigorously nodding his head. If I said you could have James Harden on your team or Luka Doncic, which one would you take? Um, In the current moment, I'm taking James Harden for sure. Okay. Averages 35 a game, mm-hmm. assist master, controls offense. James Harden or Damian Lillard, I'm giving you either one of those guys on your team. Who are you taking? James Harden. Over Damian Lillard? 100%. Mm. Anthony Davis? Does Anthony Davis belong in this conversation? He, he is. He's a top five player in the NBA, but you're forgetting about Kevin Durant. Well, so I had that name written down on the side is because I didn't get to hear the conversation Jay Will had. Is he including Durant, who obviously, if healthy, belongs on this list? So I'm trying to figure out who it is he doesn't have on the list, I guess, is what I'm saying. Jay Will said he has him six. So LeBron, Giannis, Steph, Kawhi, Harden, KD. That's six. So I'm wondering which one of those he would put, and I would put Damian Lillard ahead of him. Well, I don't know that I'd put him ahead of Luka. But I would put him ahead of a lot of other people. Well, I would. Right now, I'd put him ahead of Luka. you got to give Damian Lillard that respect. Damian Lillard, the most underappreciated, super, super duper star. What's the top level you can be of superstar? Whatever the top level is you can be, that's what he is. That's what Damian Lillard is. And if he played on a glamour team, if he played on the Knicks, the Celtics, the Lakers, Damian Lillard would be as big a star as there is in the NBA. He is largely overlooked and is almost like an underground. He's almost like an, a really, really successful indie band that only those who know, know. 
But Lillard is that good. He makes a shot that knocks Jeff George and Russell Westbrook out of the playoffs last year, stares directly at the camera, and then people put together lists of, of the best players in the league and leave his name off it. He belongs on it. He was the MVP of the restart, and he deserved it. Single-handedly willed his team into the playoffs. So he goes ahead of him. So who are the players that we're talking about? i got to talk to Jay Will. We'll get Jay Will on here. Jay Will doesn't have enough jobs right now. He's only hosting the morning show and NBA Countdown. So let's get him on tomorrow, and let's find out who he has on that list. Anyway, this was fun, and it is great to be back, and I thank you for being here with me. I will be back tomorrow morning for Get Up starting 8 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN, and then back here, same time, same place, for Greeny ESPN Radio.